evening and welcome to another episode of Transatlantic History Ramblings with Lauren and Brian. This is Brian in Buffalo, New York, US of A, and with me as always... Lauren from Swansea. How are you, Brian? I'm good, Lauren, because this is actually going to be Transatlantic History Ramblings. We get to do ramblings again. We do. That was my fault because I kind of went, oh, we shouldn't do... We should, we... I, I kind of put my foot down and was like, no, we, we're not going to do any rambling. We're just going to go straight for it. But I'm glad that we did because it meant that we got to focus on the stories and we didn't have to cut anything down. On the yeah, stories and what thing. stories so. they were. We've been getting emails all week about these stories. Tara, yeah, I'm glad. Tara, the fucking mouse clicking, has been sending people into a tizzy. I just want to say that. Yeah, um, Nigel. Yeah, bam, bam, Nigel's story. Bam, 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 bam. Oof. And he says he's got more he'll send us if we do another one. Well, yeah, I'm not surprised that, you know, he's a police officer. So I, I think we should aim to do one every every few months, like every like three months or so, just so we can get everybody together. Yeah, and uh, wow, everyone had a blast. People were very amazed how, how restrained I was with my skepticism. I think it was because it was listener stories and, and you didn't want to alienate the listeners and everything. And also, as well, what I really liked about it is that even though, you know, Misha's story, she was a teenager, they were still looking for logical explanations. They didn't sort of go in with um, paranormal explanations. It was always, I thought it could be a this or a that. And it was really good. It really was, enjoyable. It was good, but I missed my ramblings, Lauren. <laughs> You've got two weeks worth of rambling well, in you today. I, mean, I, I don't have anything that really pissed me off. I mean, the Super Bowl was last night. Did, did Is the Super Bowl a big deal in Wales? No, it's not. I didn't stay up and watch it. Um, I... I don't know if you've ever seen um, what what we do in the shadows with yes. the vampires. Yep, and they don't call it the Super Bowl. It's Super Bowl. <laughs> no, but so the, I wish everybody a happy Super Bowl. The, uh, the went to bed. The Super Bowl is is such a big deal worldwide because of I mean the advertising, the big game, the halftime show is always a big extravaganza, and. Uh, and a lot of people are complaining that the halftime show was hip-hop for the first time. But you know what? Sorry, folks. That's been the music of the past 30 years. It should be the Super Bowl halftime show at this point. And y'all fucking crazy if you didn't think Dr. Dre was awesome. That's all I'm going to say about that. I I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I think I prefer the Superb Owl. <laughs> the game itself was good very good game um surprisingly a lot of super bowl games don't live up to the hype this game was really good right down to the wire very good game so i'm not even going to complain about the super bowl Lauren. isn't that amazing i know i'm 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 absolutely astonished yeah i um i don't have much to complain about after two weeks of no ramblings but I just do, that I didn't let you ramble last week. That's yeah, that was complaint. my. I'm gonna bitch about that. But, oh, do you know? Do you want to know something? Do you know the sweetest thing? Yes. Theo was asking about you today. Well, I was gonna bring up Theo. How about that? Um, he was asking about you today. He was asking, could you come and live in Wales, please, so he could see you. Um. Well, I, I said I said you couldn't because you couldn't bring your cat, and he said yes, yes, you could bring your cat. And I said I'm not quite sure, <laughs> um, 
that he he um that he could and then he's very adamant that you could come and live in wales and you should come and live in wales and he wants you to come and live in wales because he wants to see you well did you tell him that if i come to wales it'll throw off the human to sheep balance ratio no i, I didn't know I, uh, I'm sorry, Theo, I'm not going to come live in Wales. Hopefully I'll be visiting Wales someday, because you, know you know how people go on, like, Bigfoot hunts and Loch Ness Monster hunts? You and I go on a hoff hunt. Yeah, me and Quincy are going to go on a hoff hunt. <laughs> um, I just, um, no, it was just very, it's very sweet. Um, he, he often asks about you. Well, I know that he won an award. He did. It's called Camera Othnos, and it uh, it translates to Welshman of the Week, and it means that he was the person. Not that he's so much improved in his Welsh speaking because he's always speaking Welsh. It's a Welsh language school, but it's like the like he spoke the most Welsh, and he was most consistent in his Welsh, and he was just the best Welsh speaker of the week, really. So, I think it's and he time had a big we do milkshake. I think it's time we do According to Theo 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 He's not here now you know that don't you? Well yeah, but we can you could tell me when you took him out for his celebratory milkshake what his take on winning this award meant to him. Um he was very proud of himself, um and um he wasn't seeing his dad that weekend, so he messaged his dad. Um and his dad is going to buy him a present this weekend, but he liked it. And it really did boost his confidence because he came out of school speaking Welsh to me. And that's the first time he did. His elder brother was very disgusted that he was speaking Welsh and turned around and told me that he didn't understand Welsh. And then I said, well, I was going to go back into the school and speak to his teacher because I was very concerned that he goes to a Welsh school and doesn't understand any Welsh. So... No. Yeah, but it meant a lot to Theo. Um, and I did ask him about... Lincoln, and he goes, he doesn't know who that is. He doesn't? No, he doesn't. Did he give you any bizarre takes on anything this week? Um, he just asked me not... He just really randomly, while we were waiting for a bus, went to me, um, please don't put eye drops in my eyes. I was like, I don't put eye drops in the eyes. He goes, no. But he once had an eye infection that turned into cellulitis. Bless him. Um, and he had to have eye drops because when I was little, I had to have eye drops and I didn't like it. So I just thought you should know. <laughs> so according to Theo, people will randomly give him eye drops. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Really? And, and you shouldn't eat too much of the same thing because you'll get bored of it. What if that same thing is pizza? Yeah. Because I took him shopping, and um, he was very—he he wanted to get something nice for um, for my mum. And he goes, well, and he calls her ghee as a man ghee. And he goes, well, what does ghee like to eat? And I said, oh, she likes sausages. He goes, well, you can't buy her sausages today because you can't have too much of the same thing all the time. You'll get bored. So he chose her a—he chose her a casserole, and then he told me that if she didn't like it, I had to say I chose it. <laughs> According to Theo, people. According to Theo. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, he doesn't know anything about Lincoln. It's quite... Because I've been doing um, some Welsh language history sessions for the museum as a volunteer. And it's quite... It's One of, one of Hitler's legacies is that he's absolutely hilarious to 10-year-olds. <laughs> 
they just see him and they burst out laughing and I'm like, well, this is definitely not what you wanted, Adolf. No. Uh, <laughs> and um, they go on about his moustache and I'm like, well, don't diss his moustache because like Charlie Chaplin had the same moustache and Charlie Chaplin is awesome. Uh, That's a little disturbing to me. I know. Can we go back know, to Theo talk about not eating the same foods? <laughs> Speaking so of I same foods, thought... I got some yeah. food jokes if you want. Go on then. What do you call a nosy pepper? Oh, I don't know. What do you call a nosy pepper? Jalapeno business. <laughs> I thought it would be something to do with jalapeno. Yeah. His dad, though, is going to Las Vegas because uh, to gamble. And, I love uh, I told, Las Vegas. I told him to make his dad a list of all the American sweets he likes because he has to bring them home for him. It's against the law not to bring your child back a present from holiday. That is what I tell Theo. Lauren? Yeah? Why do mushrooms get invited to so many parties? Because they're fun guys. Mm. Boom. <sighs> Lauren? Brian? How do you make an artichoke? You stuff him. You strangle it. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. Mm-hmm. So yeah, what what do you think about that? That me telling Theo's dad Theo that he has to ask his pre- his parents for presents and they go on holiday. Well, I think you should encourage Theo to try to go to Vegas with his dad. No, because he's so cute, he would cause an international incident. I uh, I don't know. I'm pretty darn cute, and I've been to Vegas many times and caused no problems. Yeah, but he's Theo. He will. He will. He will do something. He will get a gun and do something. Vegas is such a great city, but it's probably not the best city for kids. Although I think Theo would have a ball there. Yeah, he would. He would. He'd love all the pretty ladies. Although it's hot, you know, it's a desert, so. Um, I think I think as long as he could go to visit the Grand Canyon in a helicopter. I've never done that. I think you can from Las Vegas. Well, I wouldn't want to, because, like, why? You're in Vegas where you can, like, gamble and... Yeah, but you've got to think about it from somebody who's come from the UK. Yeah. I've gambled in England. Mm. I went to a casino in, in Whitechapel. I didn't know there was a casino in Whitechapel. Well, they called it a casino. It really wasn't. It kind of sucked. Um, there's the Trocadero. That's a casino. Have you been to the Trocadero? No. I I do want to go go back to the UK. I want to go back to the UK. I want to visit Wales. Uh, I really want to get back to London. But... Theo didn't quite believe me that you had left America. He is very convinced. Oh, many that times I've been, been to Canada several times. No, no, no. He he's he's under the impression that you have never left America. I don't know why. Please, like, yeah, because he's telling his brother. Because yeah, Brian's my friend. He's this guy that yeah, yeah, talks to, and um, he's never left America. Did you say he's been to France? He's been to England. <laughs> I I did, and he goes, no, no, he has never left America. So according to Theo, I've never left the states. No, no, 
Well, I think he said you, you've never left your house. But... <laughs> well, in the last two years, I don't think I have. <laughs> no, but he, 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 he thinks you're awesome. Yeah, because I've never left my house. You have a cat. Yeah. And I know uh, a lot of wrestlers. Yeah. That's all it takes, I guess. He does love wrestling. And no, he actually loves it. He doesn't like sort of just love it for the fighting. He love he'll watch it religiously. We were we went out uh, to have a meal as a reward and he was sitting there and his he was watching the wrestling on his phone and he was watching the football and his eyes were flicking up between the both of them. He couldn't decide what to watch. It was funny. Now when you say football are you talk in soccer? I am indeed talking soccer, yes. So he's a soccer. He's very fan. good. Yes, he's very good at it. He plays for a little team. Staying on the topic of sports, have you been watching the Olympics at all? Um, I've watched the curling. I love curling. I did be to watch the figure skating, but I didn't quite do that. I like watching the really fucked up winter events. Like, like we've talked about the biathlon, of course. Yeah, that is the best. But like, like the, the the skeleton, which yeah, I'm gonna slide down this giant ice thing head first at like a hundred miles an hour. Why? <laughs> I'll fucking watch it, but I'd never do it. The luge and all that shit. Would you do that shit? No, I wouldn't. But I think it's um, I think it's amazing that Jamaica have qualified for the bobsled again. Yeah, that's cool and all. But back to going down like this giant. They're calling it like the dragon's tail in China. That's what they're calling the track. It's like this big monstrous ice slope that you're going 100 miles an hour head first on like this little tiny board. It could be worse. Why? For fun. It's not fun. It's like, ooh, and he flipped over and he crushed himself. He ended up looking like an accordion like in the old Looney Tunes cartoons. And then he died. And then he died. Yes. <laughs> I love the Olympics, though. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely love the Olympics. But I find myself watching, like, the most bizarre, fucked-up Olympic events at, like, 3 in the morning, slack-jawed, just drooling on myself watching this shit. There's a problem. Well, not really. I mean, you work from home, so, I mean... There's other things about the Olympics that amuse me, like... When they first started, I called my brother because the luge was on for the first day. And I actually said, in normal conversation, not trying to be funny, wow, this luge track is really extreme this time. And my brother's response was, well, there's a sentence you only hear once every four years. (laughs) So, I haven't asked this episode, how is Cleo? Oh, Cleo is sleeping right now. She's a wonderful, wonderful little sweetheart of a girl. But she took... Okay, you've had cats. Yes, I have. But your cats are outdoor cats, too. They were, yes. Do they have a litter box inside? Yes, they do. Okay. <clears throat> because for those well, of, you, for those of you who don't them. have cats, cats dig in the litter box... And they they drop their deuces, and then they cover it back up. Mm -hmm. It's like an instinctual thing, right? They do the same to their pee as well. Yes. Well, yesterday morning I wake up, 
and I walk by the litter box, something catches this corner of my eye, and I look, and there is this close to foot-long cat turd. And I mean, you've seen Cleo, she's not the biggest cat. No. This turd was almost as long as her, right? Flat out on the top of the box, like she left it there because she was proud. (laughs) Daddy's gone. She's like, I am not burying this shit. Daddy's got to see it because he won't believe me if I tell him. Yeah. Did your cats ever do that? Um, sometimes you'd find, you'd find, uh, yeah. Do you think it's, it's ones just... they're particularly proud of? No, I think it's them trying to tell you they, they want you to, um, to, to change the litter box. Well, I had just changed it that night. So it was fresh litter. It was a fresh litter box. I did it that night before I went to bed. And when I no, they up, can get a bit. They can get a bit funny. It, it just like sometimes if you've bought new litter or something. Oh no, it's the litter she always uses. I think she just wanted me to see it. And I got to say, sometimes it, they used to if they got disturbed. Mm-mm. She, she may have got disturbed by something. You tell me something or, cut that off halfway through. It was actually going to be bigger. <laughs> Maybe. I'll tell you right now, Lauren, I was impressed. I applauded. I didn't even want to clean it. I wanted to kind of, like, frame it. <laughs> like, laminate it. Cleo's epic poo-poo. This is Cleo's complete evacuation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now we're done talking about cat poop in the Olympics, because... We got a great show coming up, and yeah, this was a I, this was an idea of yours too. And we haven't spoken to our friends at Old Timey Crimey in almost a year, so okay. I reached out to the wonderful, wonderful gals over at Old Timey Crimey, and they're going to join us, and we're going to catch up, and we're going to talk about one of their favorite cases they ever did on their show. And because I was quite concerned that it would be a girl gang against Brian I did invite him invite him along a friend yes and we also <laughs> have with us for the third time in a row three times in three weeks Neil is becoming like our tripod Neil, Neil is Neil is that front wheel on our tricycle <laughs> don't, 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 don't put that image in his head please but Neil's story is going to join us and because um, Neil's a crime historian and this is a weird case and um, so it's going to be fun. We're going to introduce the girls to, to Neil, which is always dangerous. Yeah, they're going to love him. And uh, we're going to talk true crime in a little bit, back to kind of our roots of a show. But um, we, we do have to say with um, Doug is no longer a regular host with Old Timey Crimey. Yes, and it was not like a bad breakup or anything. It's not like Doug was canceled. He just went on to a different show. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, so fuck him. Just kidding, Doug, you know we love you. Now, he would probably say the same thing, too, about you. Probably. So we better go on to our... Okie dokie. All right, ready, Lauren? Yeah. Because I got a good one. Today in history, February 14th, 1931, the original, the OG, the greatest, Dracula, starring Bela Lugosi, was released to theaters 
Dracula, a Valentine's Day movie, if ever there was. Absolutely. But also, I think that um, I uh, there was this actor, he's appeared, he's appeared in a lot of soaps and everything in the UK, and he's done a one-man show of Dracula. And, you know, it was kind of like it's going to be the... It's going to either be the best thing I've ever seen in my entire life, or it's going to be the most hilariously bad thing. It's going to be Plan 9 from Outer Space Bad. And? Um, it, well, it wasn't bad, and it wasn't like One Man Dracula. Uh, what it was is he'd uh, done this, he'd created a story where they had come across these documents which had suggested that it was actually a true story. And he was going to do a documentary on this true story. And then they sort of um, relive the events of the book by trying to trace the by trying to trace the events of the book and everything. So it was inter- interspersed with moments from the book, and it was like um, stuff that you know he was saying that this stuff had actually happened to him, but it, but it hadn't. And in the end, it ends with him um, bringing onto the stage the lump of earth. You know where Van Helsing has stuck stu- the stake in Dracula. Yes. Well, he says that Dracula got left there and the ashes got left there and he found this stake sticking out of the earth and he takes the stake out and Dracula comes back to life. And this was like with a guy from a soap opera? Yeah. So did it have like the cheesy soap opera music interludes in between acts? No, no it didn't. We No it didn't. It was it was really well thought of and really well done because the whole premise was like, you know, um, Van Helsing had corresponded with um, Bram Stoker and they had planned for this to be told as a true story but the publishers had sort of lost their bottle and then because well he said because the book had made Bram a lot of money and it really it it didn't not if you consider other people that were outstanding you know no. other exactly. other well-known authors that he it didn't make him as much money as they said but you know as his you know as the popularity grew he sort of he kind of uh, forgot about the true story and kind of just went with his so it was really interesting. It was kind of a different take on Dracula, and it was it was a bit of silly macabre gothic theatre, and it was really good. Oh, yeah. Well, the 1931 Dracula, Bela Lugosi, your Carl Emily Jr. Pr- yeah. production, directed by the great Todd Browning. You know me in horror movies, Lauren. But anyway, mm-hmm. you got to give me your day in history. Come on, it's a Valentine's Day. Give it to me. Uh, okay. Um, so mine is. Uh, the, in 1849, the oldest surviving photograph of a U.S. president survives. James Knox Polk yeah. becomes the first serving U.S. president president to have his photograph taken by Matthew Brady. So I thought that was kind of a nice one because that takes us back to when we did the um, when the we Lincoln did the, photo. the Lincoln photo. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I think one of our guests has just popped on. I think so too. Um, yeah. But. I just wanted to point out before we go on to our guests that, you know, a lot of people even in America don't remember Polk as the president. And yet the first photograph we have of a president was of Polk. I just find that amazing. He looks a very stern guy. Like, I would not want to fall foul of him. He doesn't look like he was doing them polkas or anything. No. He doesn't look polka dot either. No. But uh, James Polk, first president, that's the first known presidential photograph. I'm wondering if he was the first one photographed, but it's the first one we know of. Um, yeah, I mean, it's very difficult to say, you know, 
as we know, photographs, old photographs don't survive very well unless they're taken care of very well. Oh, shit, the pot photographs of me from when I was a kid haven't survived well. Yeah. And that was just, like, the 1970s. So, I mean, it, it is debatable, but he doesn't look like a guy you ought to mess with, and maybe he should come back as a ghost and uh, help America through the pandemic. All right, enough of the ghost talk, Lauren. We're done with ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what I'm going to do is I'm going to fight... Really? Uh, I gotta crank it up because you know uh, we've had a lot of storms here, so we've been losing power. So I can't even just you know flip the switch for the magic interview box. I'm gonna have to hand crank it this time. It's the magic interview box. Ah, there we go. The magic interview box is now set. So what do you say we bring on our guests? Absolutely. All right, flip the switch. Oh, Lauren, 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 Mm -hmm. this is going to be an adventure, isn't it? It is. Because we are unleashing Neil on two unsuspecting, wonderful people that we love and admire and are huge fans of and haven't talked to him in almost a year because they're so busy with their show because, like, they're so much bigger than us. But we finally like cornered them and shamed them into coming back on and now we're thrusting neil's story upon them christy amber from the great legendary old-timey crimey one of my favorite shows in the universe welcome back to transatlantic history ramblings thank you it is wonderful to be here I really want to know if the word choice thrusting Neil upon us was on purpose or yes, on Valentine's Day, perhaps. Bit of birth, bit of everything. Well, I know you've heard Neil on our show in the past. And Neil's a bit of a legend. Now, Neil's also a bit of a charmer, so usually I'm Mr. Flirty Flirt, and I'm going to get my ass kicked today. <laughs> because my Flirty Flirt skills don't compare to those of Neil's well, story. you don't have that mustache. I got a mustache. I got a full beard. Look at this. I got the whole ZZ Top thing going in COVID. It's something about that 1890s mustache. <laughs> you are the history buffs. <laughs> hang on. Hang on. I can do that. There Just we go. Give me a minute. There we go. I feel like you guys need derby hats. <laughs> yes, I'll go get my top hat if that'll help. We could wear monocles. That would be fun. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> We should have all come in costume, period. (laughs) I would say I'll go get my top hat and look all dapper, but then you'd see me step and realize I'm wearing my cow-colored pajamas. They're like... (laughs) Did they start off that color, Brian? Or has it just happened during the day? (laughs) Ooh. I just... I, I feel at one with cows because I've eaten probably a thousand of them in my day. And they, I have, like, they are now my spirit animal through ingestion, I think. What about the chicken? That's my brother. My brother eats chicken, <laughs> and his side dishes with chicken are chicken and chicken. You, 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 Amber, Christy, chicken or beef? Can, can I have bacon as a, as a hidden third yeah, option? Yeah, bacon. It really so needs to be bacon. So you're both going pork. Yeah, we're both going pork. My children actually use cows as a unit of measurement. So um, they tell everybody that our television is two cows big. That is just how they measure things. Those are big TVs. Wow, that must be a really big TV. 
I mean, that, it's, that's a huge... It's not, it's not that big, but I, I think they have a slightly skewed vision of how large a cow is, but that's what how they measure things. I, I think the word perspective is required here. You know, you need to do the, sh the sort of, here's a toy cow, close, it looks big. Those big cows are far away. It's part of the learning process. You can do it too. <laughs> we have cows in America. They should know what they look like. Well, they do. Hey, and I, both it's of perspective. my parents grew up on a farm. So they've seen a cow, but not that close, I think, is the problem. <laughs> I live in a city. I've never had a cow in my neighborhood, but I know how big they are. I once had cows nearly attacking my house, so that was fun. I we, don't live in a city. <laughs> uh, apparently not. I was going to say, you're not in the city, are you? And no, were they really no. going to attack? Well, there was the danger that there were some calves in the mix there, uh, some, some little baby cows, and there were some mama cows, and so we were kind of uh, against the idea of trying to herd them back to where they belonged because I think one of the mama cows had tried to bite my neighbor the previous week. <laughs> when she got too close to the to the baby cows so yeah we kind of just like let it go and then called the police and they came and they actually with the police vehicle herded the cows back to their pasture where the fence had broken so that was that was definitely um an experience of living in the country <laughs> i know you're all gonna find this shocking but i actually do have one cow story that I would like to tell from my personal experience. But, but Theo says you've never left your house. Theo says I've never left my house. I have. And I have one personal interaction with a cow. Now, my best friend Is this ever, suitable for broadcast, Brian? Uh, I'll keep the parts out that aren't. My best friend ever, Jeff, who I miss dearly. Jeff died uh, 10 years ago, uh, 10 years ago, a month ago. He died. Is he the one of the poem? He did, yeah. Um, he wrote the poem. Jeff once poem. wrote a poem, Ode to Knockers, oh. which contained the lines, um, Hazel Court running down the stairs. Knockers are great because they come in pairs. But being an ardent student of history, point of fact, Anne Boleyn had three. And Brian actually put that question to Alison here. I did. I died. Yeah, I had Allison Weir on the show, the greatest uh, historian and author of Anne Boleyn history. And the first question I asked her, did Anne Boleyn have three boobs? She loved no. it. She's been back on the show since. So, but she, Jeff. Yeah, I'm, I'm in, yeah, I'm in talks to see if she'll come on for a third time. So. Now, now, Jeff was a farmer and uh, he, he lived on a family, it was a family dairy farm back in the day. But as Christy and Amber can attest, in America, those were all destroyed by corporate farming. And his family farm literally became nothing more than a, um, a hard corn and, and hay farm. They basically raised corn for feed and, and hay. Um, but they would still raise beefers every year for themselves, for the family. And I'm over at the farm one time when they had a brand new calf. And Jeff's like, oh, have you ever met a calf? And I'm like, no. He's like, you'll be amazed. They're just like little puppies. They will run up to you. They will, like, try to nuzzle their head on you. They'll want you to pet them. 
And I'm like, that's weird. So we go out to the barn, and this little calf runs up like a puppy. And it's like the most adorable thing with their big, giant calf eyes, and it's looking up at you, and you're petting it, and it's licking your hand. And in all seriousness, Jeff starts petting the thing, going, yep, and just think, a year from now, I get to blow his head off. (laughs) Oh, no! And that made me realize I could never be a farmer. Because he didn't even say it in a bad way. But he could be a serial killer one day. He knew more about serial killers than anybody who ever lived. and uh, Because he was one. Well, it's funny. The first time I ever met the guy, he was this big, he was also, he was a power lifter. All natural power lifter, though. He, like, had built all these things with, like, all these weight machines and things. He didn't use any steroids or anything like that either. But he was a giant farm guy and a power lifter. So he was monstrous. And his hero was Boris Karloff, so he always shaved his head so he looked like Mord the Executioner. <laughs> so, so did he did he do sort of children's parties in the village or town where he lived, maybe dressed as a clown? Not that I know of, but I didn't live that close to the country. <laughs> but uh, did he ever get you to sort of try, did he sort of try and persuade you to try on handcuffs? Not me, but there might have been some other victims that we don't know about. Well, you, you know you know where that's going there. You know? I do, a little John Wayne Gacy. But yeah. <laughs> the first time I ever met the guy, there was a group of people out, and he was there, and everyone was kind of afraid of him because he was this big, hulking, bald, scary-looking guy, and everyone knew he lived on a farm. And I was sitting next to him, and he just looks at me, and out of nowhere goes, you know how to shrink a human head? And I said, excuse me? And he went into this 20-minute detailed story about how to shrink a human head. And I said, either this guy's going to murder me, or we're going to become best friends. Possibly both. And for the next uh, 35 years, we were best friends, and I was actually the one who was feeding him on his deathbed because he was too weak to eat. And, um, yeah, I miss the guy every day. But uh, just a year from now, I get to blow its head off. (laughs) <laughs> golden memories brian golden memories i love you jeff you were great but that's my cow story i think i want to <clears throat> first play a little catch up with you gals because i haven't talked to you in a while and i noticed there's someone missing from the picture yes uh it's I think it was over the summer, uh, Scott decided he wanted to go in his own direction, and uh, so he left, and uh, Amber and I have been holding down the fort and uh, doing our thing ever since. So I just want to assure the audience this wasn't, Scott was canceled. No, Scott no, was no, not, not canceled. canceled. He's doing another podcast now called Strange Pathways, if it's more of the supernatural element. Yeah, Um which, you know, Neil and Lauren have been dragging me down that uh, that path lately. We've done a lot of paranormal episodes, and I'm the skeptic, so it's really dangerous. Because I get the hate mail. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> funny enough, Scott is actually a huge skeptic himself. Which is part of the reason he enjoys it so much. Yeah, I uh, he gets the hate mail too, but he was like me. He loved getting the hate mail. Yeah. Somebody made a rap diss track about him, and I've never seen him so happy. Yeah. yeah. That, if someone takes the time to do that, you know you've made an impact on their lives. Yeah, it wasn't even just a diss track. It was a full video on YouTube. Like, Oh, yeah, they, like there's a music video with Scott's image in it. It's amazing. Yeah. 
Look at Neil. Neil is like, um, <laughs> I will not be going on that show. Well, well, I, I don't say no. I'm, I'm just thinking that it sounds, you know, he sounds like he'd have a peel over here with a particular rap band called Goldie Looking Chain. Uh, and if you've uh, never heard them, you know, I think they come from Lawrence Neck of the Woods. And, uh, no, they come from Cardiff. We don't. We we, we don't. Uh, we don't see, take pain from that. Do you know it's Goldie Looking Chain? <laughs> of course <laughs> I do. They're from Cardiff. I'm surprised you know Goldie Looking Chain. Hey, when you can see me, you know, because you weren't on the podcast, but you know, you'll see that actually I'm quite hip and down with the kids. No, no, no. <laughs> Homies. Yeah. Speaking of Get which. Legal. I was I was Man commenting on, on on the ramblings part of the show before y'all joined us, Neil. I'm sure you don't give a shit because you're in the UK. But Amber and Christy, the Super Bowl this year, the first ever hip hop halftime show. I mean, this is I mean you're both younger than me, but we're you know relatively the same age range. So this was like the first time like our formative years music was the Super Bowl halftime show. What'd you think? I think that means we're old now. <laughs> Well, we know that. <laughs> we are. <laughs> um, so I actually, I didn't, I don't watch TV. Um, and uh, I took the opportunity of knowing that it was on and going to the grocery store. So I knew it'd be dead, which it was. And yeah. it was lovely. <laughs> Christy, did you watch it? Uh, I had it on. I was doing like some cross stitching and stuff while it was on just because it, I, I need other stimulus i need something else <laughs> football's not enough to keep me <laughs> occupied so i would really just like sew through the game and then um put my stuff down to watch the commercials and stuff but but it was a really good halftime show it was very very entertaining See, and thought, a lot of star power i thought dre was awesome mm-hmm. i thought dr dre was awesome 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 i would have loved it if he did the whole halftime show himself because i could have taken or left the rest of it snoop was okay never liked eminem mary j blige thought sounded like crap but i thought dre was awesome and i would love to see dre do an entire halftime show that could be really interesting well who knows maybe next year that being said I let's talk about What's that? I just went around wishing. I just I, I didn't pay any attention to the Super Bowl. I just went around wishing people a happy Super Bowl day. So <laughs> I thought it was a Super Owl myself. I was looking for the bird. I I didn't see a particularly outstanding feathered creature there. So I, I'm still not a bit mystified. Well, in fact, I'm a bit mystified. Who is the superb owl for for 2022? Uh, that would be. That little fucking one from Clash of the Titans. <gasps> Bippo! That's it. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's won that bomb before, hasn't he? And I'm talking Still the original Clash there. of the Titans, the old school, <clears throat> that if you grew up in America watching TNT, it was on every weekend Clash of the Titans, not that remake bullshit. Harry Hamlin, Clash of the Titans. Clash of the Titans. We want the Beastmaster and Clash of the Titans 24-7. Right, Christy? Right, Amber? Yeah. Well, that was what we got. <laughs> That's right. Mark Singer in a loincloth and uh, Rip Torn as a, as a villain. It was great. Speaking of I, villains. I feel like I'm missing out on, on something. I never had this. You, wait a second. Where did you grow up? So we moved around a lot, but I'm also the the baby of six kids. And so, like, me getting to watch TV was never a thing. 
All right, we're going to have a get-together, and Aww. we're going to sit you down and watch The Beastmaster and uh, Clash of the Titans. Okay. And that will be every weekend of every every weekend of the uh, late 80s through 90s, I believe, on television. Okay. They were nonstop <laughs> in rotation. See, I didn't even, I don't even think we had a TV until I was probably like 12. And now you don't watch it. And now I don't watch it. So you had this Ironic, window of television. television uh, related thing, and I don't watch it. Now that's why your kids think a television is two cows wide. <laughs> it could uh... be. <laughs> We've solved that mystery. <laughs> but speaking of mysteries, Neil, their show is, it is so right up your alley because old timey crimey and why don't, why don't you one of you can give neil the uh, the the pitch that you would say if you were trying to sell your show to a network what is your show out it's basic <clears throat> excuse me it's not like i talk all the time or anything um no. <laughs> it's basically a historical true crime we started everything from 1950 and before, and each year we allow ourselves to creep ahead another year. So now we're at everything from 1953 and before. And we do everything from, you know, medieval right up until the very cutoff point. And uh, it's uh, because true crime is better in black and white. Uh, as Byman used to say, you know, truth is strange, stranger than fiction. Very true. Sounds fun. We shall have to hook up and do a little something. Bit of transatlantic interest, I think. Well, we... You have to tell me what you haven't done when, we're, when we plan it. And we'll find... This, this old British master of the macabre will find something dark and horrible, or a series of horrible and dark ones, to discuss and share with you. I love to find uh, connections and similarities between crimes that take place in Great Britain and America and around the world. Uh, and and it, it is interesting when you look at some of the crime phenomena around the world, too. So, yeah, that sounds wonderful. I'd really rather like that. That sounds lovely. Thank you. <laughs> well, not, not the crimes, actually. They, they don't sound nice. They're, but working with you guys sounds lovely. I, I, doesn't mean I don't still love you both, Lauren and Brian, though, you know? <laughs> No, no love changes there because today is Valentine's Day, so there, there's a lot of love in the room, and I'm feeling that. Do you have any special <laughs> Valentines to send out, Neil? Yeah. I certainly do, Brian. Here's a special Valentine's to your mum, Brian. I'm thinking of her. I'm focusing, and I'm sending a great big hug right across the Atlantic and saying Happy Valentine's to you. I Brian. um. You did an sh- episode of Old Timey Crimey that I want to kind of dig deeper in for this episode now that we got you here because this was mm-hmm. such, um, as you know, this is an explicit show, so I could say this was one fucked up case. Yes, it is. And yeah. now, Neil and Lauren, um, we did give you a heads up of what it was about, but um, this is an American crime involving... Linda Hazard, not Dukes of Hazard, which is a crime in and of itself, because those Duke boys were moonshiners, they were fucking criminals, and they had the Confederate flag on their car, fuck them, they weren't the heroes. But, Linda Hazard, 
just lost half your listeners there, Brian. Spot on, mate. Yeah. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. If I lost those listeners, I don't want them as listeners. (laughs) You'll have a man wearing a white bag on his head come and knock on your door. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Sadly, in America, this is true. What's that glow outside your window, Brian? What can I see? Oh, oh, look at that glow. It's got a a burning cross. Oh, no. Luckily, I'm in New York, so I should be okay. You know, you got them Yankees. I'm a Yankee. <laughs> well, I want to ask you gals. May I call you gals, or is that too politically incorrect in this day and age? I'm fine with being a gal. I kind of want to be a dame, though. I feel like I like dame way better than gal. What about broad? I can't call you a dame. That's a title in England. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll take broad. I'll take broad. Broad, okay. Amber's my hero. She's she's um she's the the dame of Pyromania. <laughs> is that right? Name? So that is that is her title. Dame Amber. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna make a t shirt right. that, that Okay, so which one of you which one of you broads came up with the idea of doing an entire show on this 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 cuckoo for cocoa puffs broad? Because this uh, hazard, yeah. I think it was actually both of us because I had purchased the book, but was just kind of it's a book by uh, Greg Olson called Starvation Heights: A True Story of Murder and Malice in the Woods of the Pacific Northwest, which I highly recommend. And so that was one of my main sources. I had purchased it, but wasn't really at a spot where I could actually sit down and get into the book and start taking notes from it. And we we trade off with choosing cases each week so amber sent me she's like oh, i want to do uh, linda hazard and starvation heights i was like no not this week <laughs> i'm not ready <laughs> and then like six weeks later or something like that it was a long period of time i was finally like okay all right i have some breathing room let's do this one and uh so yeah it was it was kind of both of us actually the rare the rare time when both of us choose the case now all of us here have investigated and, and researched true crime and we always come to this weird conclusion that sometimes you're investigating these horrific crimes and you find this bit of humanity in the person. And you almost feel guilty about it. There is none of that with this broad. The only tiny bit of humanity I could find in her uh, was that she was afraid of the dark. Yeah, but because she was so awful, I was like, well, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that is and it has a weakness. <laughs> yeah, this exploit is, it, exploit it. This is a true monster, this woman. Um, Neil, had you ever heard of her before this? I hadn't heard of her, no, but I've certainly heard of more than one killer who was frightened of the dark. For example, in Norfolk, there was a fellow by the name of William Sheward in the middle of the 19th century. In fact, in Norwich, where I am at this very moment. And he killed his wife during an argument. He dismembered her and scattered her body parts all around the city of Norwich. He got away with it, too, because he the head is somewhere. It has never been discovered. But in the, in the years afterwards, he was haunted, he believed, by the ghost of his ex-wife. He was terrified of the dark, and he had to walk up and down in the upper room of... He, he eventually took a pub 
It was a landlord. And he would walk up and down with a candle burning until he was so tired. Only then would he be able to go to sleep and the candle would gutter in its own holder. Mind you, he got his comeuppance in the end. He, he couldn't stand it. And he confessed to his crime just over ten years later and went to the gallows on his own say-so. But he's certainly another one. Quite rightly, he was afraid of the dark. My question is, they never found the head. Do they Do they have, like, let's find the head festivals, like, yearly there? Because they really should. Let's we, start we don't really celebrate the lives of murderers. We're not mm-hmm. celebrating the life. We're trying to find the head. They... They actually they did find a head of a murdered woman in David Attenborough's garden. Ah, oh, but that's not connected story. with this case. No, this, it's not. But is... they did just just to say they did. They found a head. Oh. Okay, uh, no more severed heads for that's now. A, We're back that's to Miss Hazard. Story for another night. Yeah, but that, that yeah. that's a fascinating story that also uh, has a grim tale associated with the disposal of the body that the head belonged to. And what happened to the fat that was boiled off? But that's another story. And also, the the police didn't investigate it properly and didn't look at burial records for where they said this woman was buried in the cemetery. So her head is buried apart from the rest of the body that they did find. It's messed up. Looks like a two-for-one plot deal. Mm -hmm. There's a lot going on. Well... Speaking of a lot going on, we got to get to this 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 uh, Duchess of Hazard, and um, Amber, give us a little bit of of the background of this. I'm going to call her piece of shit because she was a piece of shit. She was a piece of shit. Um, so she claimed she was a doctor, but she was not, and then she basically just mind fucked everybody into giving her all of their stuff and starving to death. Really, it's like the super Cliff Notes version. Yeah, and and, and Christy, how did the... How do people fall victim to cult leaders and and weird bullshit mind control manipulation, but this is a particularly like, hey, if you give me all your stuff and don't ever eat anything, you'll be good. How, how How did she do this? Well, I I do believe that there is a certain amount of, she's really good at manipulation. So that's one thing. She's quite good at manipulating the people around her. Another thing is that she picks her targets. She tends to pick the wealthier people, of course. Of course, those are the people she wants to quote unquote heal, because when they're not healed, she'll get their money. And so... She she does this, and also there was, at the time, she really took advantage of what was going on at the time, which was there was a fascination with all these different health fads and snake oil cures and such. And so people were buying into all kinds of different things in, you know, the interest of being healthy. And we didn't know nearly so much as we do now, so there was an honest belief in many of her patients that she was healing them. In fact, the husband of one of the women that she uh, starved to death testified in her court case that he didn't blame her. I I hate to draw the parallels, but it's like the people who watch these quack snake oil salesmen on TV now, or these these hacks who I don't want to name names because I will be sued, but we we all know who I'm talking about. 
and people believe them and it's yeah it's actually i was i've been listening to the the dropout podcast this past week and that's the elizabeth holmes she was the she dropped out of a uh, princeton and then you know stanford stanford and then went on to found a, a company called theranos that was supposed to have it so that you could just have a couple of pinpricks of blood taken from your finger and that would do like a whole range of blood tests like a thousand different tests 200 different tests whatever and it could only ever do like 12 but it's kind of like uh, when i think of elizabeth holmes i think of her as a slightly less harmful because as far as we know nobody died because of her uh kind of 21st century version of linda hazard because i think that they both do buy their own bullshit. I honestly think Elizabeth Holmes probably thought that if she could just keep going for a little while, she could make the technology work. And Linda Hazard, in, in parallel, she did a lot of the things that she prescribed. She, from the time that she was a child, she gave herself daily enemas. And that was part of the treatment that she prescribed to her quote-unquote patients. And when she did die... It was of starvation. In the Wikipedia article about her, she is listed as one of her own victims. You know... Hoist upon her own petard. Yeah. <laughs> but having looked at the case, not in depth, but just to look for the show, I agree with what you're saying there, Christy, that, that, that it, it seems that, that there was a belief in what she was doing that she, she it's it's and i think that's why she was so convincing to those vulnerable people that she she really did believe and if somebody does believe strongly in their their own cures or even or their own version of a faith then there will always be people that will share that point of view sometimes very very strong as, as we've seen from history you know I quite agree with you. Well, it's 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 almost like a Kellogg who really believed in a lot of his wacky, you know, medical beliefs. And, you know, there's you could say some of his things may have harmed his, his patients in his, in, his, in his, I don't want to call them asylums, I don't remember what he called it, sanitariums. But they were definitely harmful, but they weren't this extreme i mean you really have to have a disconnect to think that this won't harm you no yeah it's amazing when you look at some of the numbers and these are numbers that she puts out in herself in her own book about the starvation cure she lists 10 patients and the lengths of their fasts and their weight at the beginning of the end and she says that the average loss is one pound per day uh, I think we all know that's not particularly healthy. The lowest weight at the end of the fast was uh, somebody dropped from 109 to 78 pounds. And the longest fast was 50 days long. And these fasts, we're talking eating broth that's basically made of like a bunch of boiled water and like a teaspoon of tomato puree or something, you know, and a little, a sip of orange juice per day. That's it. And the broth, it's a teacup twice a day. That's it. And then you're getting these constant enemas, and you're getting these quote-unquote massages that are really just somebody punching you with the back. I mean, it's just all 
it is incredible that somebody could believe it, but you have to think that she really, in in some way at least did, because she still bought into it and was trying to cure herself through fasting at the end of her life. But there's also the cynical side where she was obviously taking advantage of people who were a kind of had hypochondriac tendencies and were constantly looking for a cure for maybe when they didn't even have something wrong with them. B, people who had the money that she could steal. And C, we see the proof of this in, in her trial. One of her nurses or servants, I can't remember which, was cross-examined and was asked why she left the service of uh, Mrs. Hazard. And she said, well, I got sick and she got mad that I got sick. This is a person who's supposed to be healing people. But, of course, this is a servant or a nurse. That's not somebody with money she can steal. So you can definitely still see, even though she's, she's both buying her own bullshit and she's using it to enrich herself. It's an interesting point that you made about all the, all the medicines of the period as well. Because there were a number of supposed cures that contained poisonous goods. Even, you will have heard of the earlier time periods when women would use a white lead as a face powder which of course is very noxious bad for the skin and bad for you when it's absorbed but in the 19th century arsenical face preparations were quite common even at what they called arsenical soap which was so powerful apparently it removed facial hair for women <laughs> and you put it on your face there were other instances. Brian and I have also studied do the quack doctor, the, the self-proclaimed Dr. Francis Dumblety. He's providing quack cures. And these these people are making an awful lot of money. And I think that's something, you know, the listeners, if they're not familiar with these cases, there's a lot of money. So there's a lot of people getting involved in these quack cures. So by the sheer number of people involved, the, the number of quack ideas that are getting involved as well, it's not surprising that there, there are some of these people that they are killing not just one or two, but, but groups of people in a, in, in a serial murder style. Yeah, it's, it's and, and I'm not trying to be funny, and everyone will assume that I'm going for the laughs here, but there, a lot of times with these wacko cures and remedies there's always this emphasis on the enema yeah and i mean now we've we do know that people who are getting enemas repeatedly over time they become addicted to it and there is an addictive nature to it but but where does this obsession with the enema come from with all these quack cure people back then because it's not so much now you don't see that with the quack cure so much anymore the enema treatment but it so big back then but it went big into the 20th century oh it did yes when one of the most popular products in america early 20th century advertised in, in the press and papers was the recto rotor and it had, you know, senior members of the American police force swearing by its uh, efficate, eff efficative properties, you know, efficacious properties of the recto rotor. So there we are. I are know what I'm going to be looking for in the... <laughs> yeah. See, my aunt one time was trying to patent a device she called the autofeces extractor, 
which you could hook up to yourself so you could uh, go to the bathroom while driving and it would go through your exhaust. But uh, <laughs> the auto feces extractor, which kind of sounds similar, but no one wants an auto feces extractor. The game buddy, Brian. I, I've heard of these. This is, this is a sort of adult nappy you can wear rather than having to queue at your American ball games. No, this isn't a nappy. This actually, like, you know, it'll go through, somehow goes through the combustion engine and comes out the exhaust pipe. So you're getting rid of the waste, too. You don't want blowback, mate. I don't know. She never really did get it patented. So uh, just saying, hi, Joe. That was my aunt's idea for years, the autophesis extractor. But (laughs) seriously, back to the, uh, no pun intended, back to the enema. Why do you think that was such an easy sell for these people? I don't know exactly why. I think there's some aspect of purification that that they believed that it provided that seemed to be a big thing this this idea that it could remove, you know, toxins and and impurities. And especially with Linda Hazard, her big thing was that uh there's a Everything is digestively related. Every illness is somehow related to your digestive system. And so she basically said, uh, illness results when balance no longer exists between nutrition and elimination, with the consequence that the blood current is vitiated at its source, the resistive powers lowered, and germ soil produced. So you got to get all that germ soil out. (laughs) So that was kind of part of the cleansing process of the of the the fasting which i mean i don't know how much fasting today involves enemas but there's still a lot of fasting going on and in, in various types of cleanses that's essentially what a cleanse is, is it's a fast yeah you know everyone's going for the high colonic you know yeah <laughs> well it's it's i don't think the the reflex of vomiting is it's, it's not pleasant for anybody, is it? And, and tragically, there are medical conditions that can cause people to, uh, or, or, or people can induce themselves to, to vomit. It's horrible. Um, so I think that it, it would feel a more natural process to be irrigated, and it is that kind of removal. And it takes a sort of supposed medical knowledge to administer the enema can. And that's what they're really, they're paying for her sir, to do that. Well, uh, And I think it, it's got more of a logic than being, than being sick. I want everybody who's listening to this show right now, including uh, the four of you, they're joining me. I want you all to Google this woman right now so you can look at her picture. And then picture her saying, I'm going to stick this tube up your butt, honey. And tell me you would agree to this. <laughs> well, no, she looks very scary. She, she's very scary. And no, I would not. <laughs> well, may, maybe she looked a bit more spruce, you know, away from the crime setting. I, I don't know. I mean, the point is, how many... There were not that many outstandingly beautiful murderers. I can't I mean, think of any. About characters like Nurse Dorothea Waddingham, I mean, they, people clearly they, they trusted her. She wasn't true, even qualified, fully qualified as a nurse, I don't think. But she's bumping off people in the UK. In fact, you can find a host of uh, medical practitioners. In our modern time, we had Doctor Shipman here, and going way, way back as well. It's, it's, it's then. If you take a photograph out of context, 
Uh, and, and some nurses can look very hard-faced. But let's face it, if you're having a colonic, I mean, really, you, 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 it's, you're not looking at a face, are you? You know? At that point, you, no. You're, you're chewing a, you're chewing a, a pillow. Oh, you're right. There are no... There, you don't see many good-looking killers. There was that... Uh, Jim Norton did that bit about everyone said Ted Bundy was so attractive. Well, he was attractive compared to other serial killers, but he really was nothing to write home about. <laughs> but, yeah... I, this woman, she is fascinating because she's not an exception. There were quacks all over the place with this. There were all these freak cures, all these freak sanatoriums. But she actually got nailed for it. So many of them didn't. So many got away with it because it was cures or, or treatment. But she was actually convicted for manslaughter. Yeah, she didn't have to spend too much time behind bars, of course. Uh, she was convicted for two years, and then I got to scroll all the way to where I can find it. Um, and uh, it was supposed to be two to 20 years. Uh, but her uh, uh, one good thing that did happen there was her medical license got uh, revoked. And after two years, she was paroled, and she basically did kind of start right back up again there were some some consequences like there was a, a, a slight australian connection to this case in that uh the governess of one of the two ladies who were heavily involved in this case they were sisters one of them died under hazard's care and the governess i should say they were in their 30s but they were still kind of had this like childlike aspect which kind of made them the, the perfect victims they still had this naivete despite all this like world travel and she had been in australia while all of this was going on and while the one sister was dying received a letter to her that seemed strange and so she immediately just hopped on a boat and came over and discovered that they were dying and because of probably because of that connection or maybe just to keep people safe australia actually banned anybody from writing to hazard to like get her diet books or anything <laughs> like that mail would not leave the country that's rather clever i like that you know what what's also really fascinating about this woman is so many of these cases involve hearsay and people talking about what was done trying to remember his name and i'm looking it up right now because obviously i did not come as prepared as i should have but we actually have someone's full diary entry with treatments oh yeah uh, that would probably be i think his name started with an e i think that would be erdman erdman edward earl edward erdman yeah yeah and he would he would talk about the treatments and that that gave us a little bit more of a direct evidence link to how what she was doing was was really physically harming people. Yeah, and in it, he's even talking about didn't feel good, uh, didn't sleep too well, um, you know, didn't feel good. It's like he's keeping a diary of everything happening and progress, writing down the progression of, yeah, this kind of sucks, uh, it ain't working, but they still bought into it. Yeah, the, there's this uh, little bit from the diary that was published in the Oregon Daily Journal. Uh, and they, they do a little commentary on it. When Erdman came under the influence of the starvation specialist, according to the diary, he was in a cheerful frame of mind. The effects of the treatment are shown plainly by such notations as blue, wretched, despondent, weak, sick, and on the last day, 
the day before he died, it is written dying. Yeah. He knew. You just, you get to, also you get to a certain point, I think, where you might, and this happened with, with Dora, the, the surviving sister of the Williamsons, the ones who ended up, you know, being the cause of the, the eventual manslaughter conviction. Dora knew that this should not be going on, that this was not healthy, but she was still both under the influence of Dr. Hazard, and she also was too weak to do anything about it. You get, they get, she gets you to a point where you know you're like, oh, crap, this is really bad. I feel absolutely awful. And then she either says, well, you know, if you stop the starvation process now and try to eat something, it might kill you. Yes. She does that little line. And she just also just makes it impossible and manipulates you. And you also think about when you're hungry. Even if you're just a little bit hangry, your brain isn't exactly firing on full, like, all of its cylinders. And it's that same thing, except multiply that times 100 because you've barely eaten anything but a couple cups of weak tomato broth, tomato water, essentially, for weeks. You're just, you're not able to fight back. She, she weakens them to the point where they can't fight back. Starvation also, when you're depleting the body of nutrients and vitamins that it needs, does make people more susceptible to, um, quote-unquote, brainwashing. I mean, that's one of the techniques, um, some of the, the crazy, radical, um, religious movements of the, of the, of the past would do the the brainwashing by you know feeding them just these diets of brown rice and water so they can't even think and I, but I don't know if that was her intent if she was using it for that reason um, the one thing I, I find funny and not funny obviously but odd is that like you said she was a believer she believed what she was doing. But she also felt no remorse for the downturn in people. No, she was pretty sure that she was in the right and that they had just, you know, died because of other uh, ailments that were affecting them. For instance, she, uh, Claire's death, Claire Williamson, the, the one sister, uh, the autopsy was performed by none other than Linda Hazard herself, of course, who put the cause of death down as cirrhosis of the liver caused by medications that Claire Williamson had taken when she was younger, which is very interesting to me, because that's part of Linda Hazard's backstory. She kind of got into this whole wellness through natural remedies scene when she was younger, and first of all, her family was vegetarian, which that's fine. It's it's really interesting for the day like she was born in 1867 so you don't see too many vegetarians during that time period you know we didn't have boca burgers what, what did they eat they didn't have any morning star spicy sausage hey we have boca burgers now and i'm not eating them hey they're good <laughs> so, and i'm not even a vegetarian as you know for the you gave us the option earlier and i picked pork uh so but yeah she um the family had a, a family doctor, and he apparently at one point prescribed her a medication that she didn't feel was necessary, and thus began the dependence on enemas and her attraction to these quote-unquote natural cures. So it's almost like she's kind of projecting her own backstory onto Claire, who was a pretty healthy child. So do you think it's one of those examples of, well, this is what was wrong with me, so it's obvious what's wrong with everybody? I think very much so. I think she she definitely had a an arrogance and a narcissism about her that made her um, 
she was definitely the the star of her own story and everybody else was just bit players so you know she could come up with a, a handy little narrative for why somebody died and it just so happened to kind of come out of her own past then okay that solved that mystery cause of death done here's your death certificate bye we've mentioned that she's a total piece of shit and yeah. she was a monster she wasn't she was an inhuman monster did you, were you able to find in your research any examples of people that she was genuinely close to or you would consider um, loving, whether it be relation, friend, but a, a genuine loving relationship? Because I don't see any. Well, she had a really interesting marriage. And I do think that she loved her husband at least from the start because they had some hurdles they had to get over, uh, mainly... Uh, wife number one and wife number two and the subsequent bigamy trial so there was that little <laughs> issue little just a little bump in the road on the way to wedded bliss <laughs> well you know you gotta have a side piece if you're married to miss hazard yeah well he, I would he imagine up, so yeah <laughs> one one would want a little but he she was the one he picked in the end in fact his second wife, the one who brought the suit for bigamy against him, he was married to her and probably married to his first wife when he married Linda and gave her the last name Hazard. And the the second wife ended up actually, when he was convicted of bigamy, she visited him in prison and sent him letters and everything, and he said he was going to be with her. And then when he got out, he just ghosted her and went straight to Linda. So well, there's clearly something there. I think it was the money. Yeah, I would be afraid to leave her, too. She'd kill me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're, good point, Amber. But I, I was going to say it was the money. Linda was bring, you know, bringing in the money. Well, I was never able to find a, a verification of this. It was only mentioned in a couple of newspaper articles. But that second wife, Viva, the one that he was into... Uh, the very week that he was convicted of bigamy, she also got a big inheritance from, like, I think it was an uncle who had uh, died and had some oil money, something along those lines. And so that would have probably been great. <laughs> she would have probably been slim in money, plus she had a prominent father. Uh, so I don't know how much Linda had at the time, but I think, in a way, I think he actually shared her vision. Or at least saw how he could be useful to her and participate in it. Because he did take part in some of the, this, too. There was some, uh, it, not a lot from him, he, but some activity. The stuff. It might have entirely been the enemas, yeah. It, yeah, it could, have been the, it could have been the butt love. Amber, what I find amazing about this is we're not talking one or two victims. We've mentioned a couple victims now, but... I think all said and done, if you include herself, it's close to 20 victims of this, isn't it? Yeah, she was busy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah she, uh, I, I just, my mind is blown. At what point do you start saying, you know, a lot of people drop it dead from this shit? Well, the whole town was scared of her, so nobody would speak out against her. It was Neil, like she ran the HOA. No, like nobody wanted to do anything. <laughs> Neil, do, 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 help me here. <laughs> I, I think she's certainly manifesting signs of of, of a psychosis. 
uh, a criminal's. I mean, I'm no criminal profiler, or, or but but a lot of the 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 resonance is is all there. I think she has a, a power uh, that when you see a still photograph, you can't see the way she moved, the way she believed in what she was offering and the way she interacted with other people and I'm sure that even in our own social lives sometimes you'll meet somebody really nice and man or woman and then you meet their partner and they're an absolute arsehole and you think why the hell are you with that person how dare you say that about Sarah and and you know it's some people quite seem to be quite attracted to people that have sociopathic tendencies it's i love you sarah don't listen to him i love you um no you're right neil it is sociopathic tendencies but just at what point do you think the, the outsiders to this loved ones of the people that are dying you'd think would have stepped in at some point and didn't but there's only so you see the thing is in the uk and i'm not sure how the american laws work you need to have power of attorney and if your loved one is not certified insane if your your mom, your granny your auntie decides that, that she wishes to do this she wants to starve herself to death or some other uh, medical preparation that's harmful to her there's only if she's not um, even some people are not even nominated as next of kin uh, it could be an auntie or whatever um, if if you if you're not that direct next of kin you're not nominated and even if you are if your loved one is not certified insane really there's nothing you can do about it yeah, and she would uh, she would sometimes get power of attorney over her quote unquote patients, and there were other cases where I mean, in the case of Erdman, uh, I believe that his wife actually said, "Hey, I don't actually want to prosecute. I don't. I, I'd prefer if you, if you didn't, because she again, she was kind of a believer in this, or maybe just didn't want trouble with Linda. We're not 100% sure, but there were other cases where people either rescued somebody or tried to rescue them, and she would find ways around. Uh, you know, like hiding somebody away when she knew that their friends were going to come and try to save them. It is really amazing that she managed for so long. I agree. And it's one of these, it's a cult. Uh, and it's an extreme 19th century health cult. Mm-hmm. And, and you can look at the history of cults, not just in America, but all around the world. Uh, and if somebody doesn't want to leave, or they have been brainwashed to the degree they they ain't going to leave, if you if you're really honest, there's, there's nothing you can do because they will go back. They will actually go back to that environment, and it's and you'll see the same thing happen it, with some women. And this is not just modern history. This is going way way back. There are cases of women who have. Uh, been in court, their husband has been uh, charged with attempted uh, manslaughter, attempted murder, horrible violent attacks, but in those days, oh, they would claim the sanctity of marriage, you know, and once he was released from serving time for extremely violent physical assaults on 
on, on lives that happen back. Yeah. I mean, knife attacks, vicious stuff. And do you know what? I, I think it still goes on today. It still happens today that even if you're not married, if you're in an abusive relationship, oh, he's sorry, he will change. And that's a point of view that can happen in just a, a two-person relationship. And all their family can warn them about it, but there's nothing you can do. One of her best tactics, I think, well, worst tactics if you're coming at it from the point of view who doesn't want people to die, but best as far as... Yeah, let's stay on that tactics, side. Yeah. <laughs> was basically making her the people she was treating with this cure think that the worse they got the closer they were to being cured so all these symptoms of weakness barely being able to get up fainting all the time that just means you're getting better you just have to keep on going just stay on the path you're fighting it and that exactly don't fight it just go with it and so one of her ways of fighting back against any skepticism was to nullify it by making a bad thing into a good thing oh well you can't walk because you're only 50 pounds and your legs are sticks well that just means you're getting better it's a warning to us all isn't it these people are still out there and it, uh, it it's an exemplar case of this 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 cult behavior being being used but the thing is how far what i mean there is a certain devious element to it because she's wanting to attract the 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 moneyed clients but i also think there's there's part of her maybe when it all started she believed in it but then she realized she could get away with murder Uh, oh what a case yeah that's that's that i want to i want to i want to ask you uh christy and amber what do you think I, I don't think in her mind she thought of it as murder. But what do, you, what could have been going through her head with these deaths? Do you think there was any remorse? Do you think it was out of sight, out of mind? Do you think it was oh, back to the drawing board? What, what would, how did it affect her mentally when these patients would die? I just think she thought of herself as a doctor, and sometimes when you're a doctor, your patients die, and you just it's just part of the practice and part of life. She never really went back to the drawing board and changed too much, I don't think, about her overall practices. It was all fasting and enemas and, you know, punching massages the whole way through. For, I like the punching you know, massages. I years. get back spasms, and I get these, like, knots in my back, so the punching massage sounds great, Well, I, but like, I like some good eat. pressure, but a, a punch is not... That that won't do it. I don't. I don't want to leave with bruises. <laughs> but the, the eating, so, I like eating a lot. Yeah, e- e- eating is good. Um, I've I've never had an enema, but I, I will go. Uh, I will go on happily, not having had one for as long as possible. And I just think that she honestly saw herself as a healer, and never once saw it as manslaughter or murder, and couldn't understand this this mindset that other people had and then use that as, oh, well, I'm just being victimized and, you know, that I'm being made into a martyr and, and when uh, when they're done with me, I'm just going to come back bigger and better, which is essentially what she did. You know, after she came back from her manslaughter conviction and her time in jail, she built the actual sanitarium that, that, that became known as Starvation Heights out in Olala, Washington. 
I, I think she would have probably described it what doctors in the UK speak of clinical detachment, which you have to have. I mean, that that's a, a safety mechanism to to enable doctors to carry out their their professional and incredible work that they they do. But when you get a character like Mrs. Hazard, it's it's beyond anything that might be. Uh, done for good it's 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 it is twisted by psychosis yeah i you really did look at it as well they were so sick when they came to me it was already too late for them mm-hmm. that that was another thing i i really don't know how she mentally squared all of that in her mind with wearing the clothes of like a victim like claire williamson just a couple days after her death i don't no, know exactly how that <laughs> Yeah, we didn't even mention that yet. Yeah, I'd like you to tell that story. Well, I mean, keep in mind, Clara and Dora are sisters, and they've gone through this treatment together. And Clara has been dying while Dora kind of watches, but another thing that she did, especially when Linda Hazard did, especially when she had two people, was divide and conquer. She kept them apart as much as possible in order to avoid them talking and, and really actually you know conferring about oh, oh oh shit this is bad i actually feel terrible i might die and so when claire died it was this thing where linda was both kind of almost it seemed like trying to push dora towards suicide she made these comments after claire's death because the sisters have been so close like oh geez i hope you don't go over to that cliff and jump off that would be so terrible oh here's just, some rope hanging from the rafter don't wrap it around your neck or anything yeah she actually said to dora dear you are insane an imbecile you will likely be an imbecile for life it was claire's wish that you should remain at olala and live here we shall care for you always yeah, so, I mean, it was a total mind fuck too. At that point, you can't say she was a believer in her own medicine and she was trying to help people. She was totally mind-fucking her. That was, I, uh, that was intentionally manipulative. Yeah, I think there's a certain amount of compartmentalization going on. I mean, I'm not going to try and diagnose her, but it, that's the only way I can figure out how it would work, where she would continue doing this and continue seeing herself as a healer and yet constantly steal from people and drag them to the point where they were so weak that it was easy to steal from them or, you know, dead, so it was easy to steal from them. And so I think that there was one part of her brain that went, oh, this person is sick, I must heal them, and it will make me feel better about myself as a person. But if I fail at this, it's because they were already too sick. And there's another part of her brain that goes, ooh, pretty close, I should wear those. And never the queen shall meet. And you'll find it again and again with, with doctors who uh, deliver mercy killings in the UK, and you might have heard of him in America, Harold Ship, Dr. Harold Shipman. Mm -hmm. He befriended lots of elderly folks in, in his local area he was well loved he was well loved but if it looked like their time was coming or these folks were, were in pain you know he was quite happy to uh, uh, deliver a shot that would um, help bring their lives to an end or some sort of medical process that would, 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 would do the business now the great fitting conclusion to, to uh, the Duchess of Hazard story is that she went down with her own treatment. 
So that kind of gives credence to the fact that she was a quack loon who believed in her own cult. It's like, the, you know, there are cult leaders where the people are obviously manipulative, greedy, power-hungry, looking to rape the minds and wallets of their followers. And then you'll have cults like, uh, what the fuck was that wacko name with Heaven's Gate? He believed wholeheartedly. He went down with that, well, up with that ship, I guess, if it worked. But, you know, <laughs> he did the, 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 the Nikes and the roll of quarters with them. He believed in it. He went down with it. Um, You know, Jim Jones, I don't think, believed in it so much, but he knew the heat was oh, on so much did. he had to kill himself. So That's I don't think, the fella, Jim Jones. Yeah. But this case, she truly believed in her methods to the point where she, like you said, she's the only serial killer I know of, if you call her a serial killer, who is listed as one of her own victims. Can I just put a little something into that mix? Talking about hoist on her own petard. If she had been exposed to these uh, this fasting since an early age, she knew how to do it very well. It is quite a thing that killers, when they end up inside, do try and succeed in taking their own life. And I, could it be a case that she thought, well, I don't want to be here, I've n I'll never escape, and whatever the psychosis was that she had. Uh, manifested in a way that she decided to take her own life and she knew how to do it in a way that she thought yeah I, I can just starve myself and I will fade away and that job is done I, I know, know how to kill myself by starving I don't well, know I mean, because she... it's a painful way to go and she saw how yeah. painful it was for the other people and if you're a narcissist and you want to end it do you really want to make yourself suffer that much yeah, I think, I mean, she'd been out of jail for about 25 years, or no, 20, probably more like 23, when, when she died. But I think one connection we can make is that the big sanitarium that they had built, Starvation Heights, it burned down in 1935, and she died only three years later. Now, it did kind of seem like there were hints, maybe, that the sanitarium burning down was less than accidental. Uh, just little things like uh, Linda Hazard's husband saying, you know, when somebody was trying to save the, the big, there were gigantic oak doors that were hand-carved, and they were like an, an absolute gem, and they were probably worth a lot. And so the community is coming up and trying to save what they can, and somebody's like, well, these doors, they're obviously valuable. We should try to save those. And her husband goes, oh, no, don't bother. They're insured. I mean, that's a little suspicious. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Fair enough, Christy. Say yeah. no more. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that was kind that of like... I, I almost wonder if he did it without her knowledge or consent. And without that sanitarium to kind of keep her going. And that, that practice and, and feeling like she was thriving amongst all these people. I mean, she, she was also getting older. She was 70 when she died, which is, is pretty pretty old for 1930s. It's <laughs> surprising she lasted that long since she probably ate, like, two grapes in her entire life. So. <laughs> grapes are good, though, especially the green ones. Yeah, but you need more than two, especially over 70 years. Yeah, it's true. 
Yes. That's cutting them up really fine, Brian. Yeah. You know, that's... that's You know? I, uh, Pushing it. I would love to research the insurance payout and who it went to and what was covered and how it was written and, and, and exactly what was covered. I could do that. I'm going to search that stuff out because that's interesting to me. Don't save, don't bother, they're insured. Okay. Do you think he kind of mind-fucked her? Oh, he was definitely not of any frame of mind at that point. He was very much an alcoholic um, throughout, throughout his life, to the extent that, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, he would go down to, like, the local store and get something... It's kind of like the, along the lines of us, you know, if, if we were to drink mouthwash for the, I think it was vanilla extract, actually. I think vanilla extract had a little bit of alcohol in it. And so he would constantly reek of vanilla because he would just buy, like, bottles and bottles of vanilla extract and just suck them down for whatever alcohol he could get out of them. Tom Hanks drank the vanilla extract on uh, Family Ties. Remember, he played alcoholic Uncle Ned in that episode, and they caught him drinking the maraschino cherries and the vanilla extract. I do not remember that, but maybe they were inspired by Linda Hazard's husband. And it was Tom Hanks <laughs> before he won his Academy Awards, but I digress. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think she was really, um, I don't think he was ever manipulating her. I think she was always the one wearing the manipulative pants in those that family, I'm pretty sure. In, in, in Amber... Now, I want you to, to separate, because you're, you're in my camp here, where you say, total piece of shit, fuck her. But I want, I want you to be able to separate your um, your feelings right now. And do you classify her as a quack who was kind of sick and delusional, or a serial killer? I don't think she was that delusional. I, I think she was more of a serial killer. Like, there was definitely something wrong with her head. But I think she knew damn well what she was doing. That's just my opinion. So you would put her in that monstrous serial killer? Um, yes. And Christy, what about you? Do you think she was a monstrous serial killer? Or do you think she was... um? A quack who believed in her own cure to the point where they died, oh well, but it's not my fault. Well, I mean, if we're going to nitpick, serial killing really generally comes down to a numbers game. And she has the numbers, so I think it can be both. She could be a quack who who buys her own bullshit, and she could also be a serial killer just through the very fact that she did kill people through this but just maybe never really acknowledged to herself that she was actually killing them. But maybe she did acknowledge to herself. We'll never really know her. Maybe she did say, like, okay, here's another willing victim coming into my spider's web, and I shall, you know, remove all food from them and and watch them die. My argument, if she really thought she was helping them, she wouldn't have been stealing the power of attorney and making them write the wills over to her. Yeah, you got it. Um, that's where I'm with you on that one. I was trying to remain objective, but without giving my opinion, but you just said it for me. That's the moment when I said, yeah, she was getting them to sign their wills over. She was taking power of attorney. I think she took a sick pleasure in watching them die. 
Yeah, that's why I lean towards the compartmentalization theory of that, like, there was a part of her that thought, I can help these people, or, you know, my version of helping. And there was also that greedy side of her. But both sides could coexist. And they actually worked really well together because the more people she, quote-unquote, helped, the more money she got. Lauren, what about you? How do you see her? Quack or killer? I don't know. I think she was both. I think that the ability... I, I, the ability to be successful meant that she had to compartmentalize everything that she was doing. It doesn't mean that she wasn't seeking power or placing people in a position where they were, where they were, were unable to fight for themselves or to um, do anything for themselves. But to be successful, she had to um, appear to be genuine. I mean, she'd have got caught a lot sooner if she wasn't appearing to be genuine. And I think that she was horrible person but then it would be quite interesting to see what her relationships with her parents were like and if something like that had happened to her while she was a child and that's she just thought it was normal to treat people like that but people are complicated and you know the nicest people that you meet are often privately the most horrible people in the world you know we don't really know people we don't really know what goes on their heads so i think that she is both she is both a crack and a horrible person in Neil, twirling the, must, money, the moustache. She's very much in the, my, in the same bracket as Dr. Harold Shipman. And I agree with what people are saying. You know, she's probably thinking she's doing people a, a great service. Always oh, marvellous. And there's part of her that probably started off believing that she was doing some good. But she is psychotic. She is a psychotic serial killer who believes that she is doing good. Probably quite sanctimoniously. That I, I'm sure of. I am sure she was quite sanctimonious too. You could just everything about her. I know we've been going over the time I've told y'all, but I just missed you two so much. I haven't seen you in so long, and I want to do more of our little get-togethers and crossovers and. How about, since we got to do an American this time, and Amber Christie, you know I mean, a nice USA chant. I love doing the USA, USA, hey, USA, USA. USA. Yeah, there you go. See, Lauren? <laughs> how about Pretty we, good. All, how about we all gather again, maybe next month, and do let Neil or Lauren pick a nice early UK crime that we can all break down. Be fair. We got the Americans. We'll let them do one of their criminals. I love it. That sounds great to me. Yeah. I, I'm up for it. And as it's, uh, uh, I, I, I want to say it's a bit of a real privilege to, to share this space with, with, with so many eloquent and, and eloquent historians. It doesn't matter with the gender, but it is really nice to hear women's voices in history. So... What can I say but, Lauren, you yes. get to choose. You get to choose, lady. Yeah. I Whoever you want, just give me Mwah. plenty like this. Right? And make it, make it a good one that, not too obscure, that lots of the listeners can kind of uh, enjoy and respond to. We, we could even look at Gallipop of Fat and the Skull. We could look at Kate Webster if you want to do a bit of that. Or whatever you want. Whatever you want, lady. Well, yeah, yeah, what we will do is we will definitely, we will gather again, and we will do a UK old-timey-crimey and break down more of these twisted well, it, it's a Welsh people. One. 
Well, Welsh is UK. Yeah. Well, it is, but you know, Welsh people deserve their freedom if they want it. Same, same as freedom for Scotland. Yeah. And the Welsh flag it. is the most badass flag out there. We, I don't think we seriously want um, independence because you have to have your own resource and you have to be able to make your own money and you know it's it's confusing because scotland keeps saying that they're going to keep the pound but they can't keep the british pound and it's all very weird that they still expect westminster to pay for their pensions even though they would be an independent country and the pension system is messed up at the moment where they don't they they, the people they think are paying for the pensions aren't really paying for the pensions it's weird it's all Um, about messed up yeah. That's going to history rambling. I'm not on the show. Great. Well done, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we sign off, Amber, Christy, do you guys got anything to plug? You got any shows coming up? Anything special? or? Uh... Well, um, okay. All right. Our episode coming out Friday, uh, we do a French case. Uh, we uh, do the, the case of uh, Gouffet. And uh, his uh, a couple of acquaintances of his that turned out to be uh, less than uh, friendly, <laughs> and it's it's sort of the third in what was not intended to be, but ended up being sort of a series little sub theme of hypnotism running through there, just because I started reading that a, a book about it um, about that case, and then just started finding all these other cases with hypnotism involved just kind of was like oh well, i'll do this one and i'll do that one they just were in my head at the time and so we did three episodes in a row where there was at least one case with some sort of hypnotism involved and they're all kind of in the same five-year time period when back when it was kind of being decided whether or not hypnotism would actually be useful in uh, getting somebody off at court and the answer is mostly no mostly no mostly, mostly no. We, had, we had a case in the uk mid-20th century the hypnotic mr clark nasty murderer ended up going to the gallows but certainly he had a sort of svengali hold over his women his victims yeah. oh yes i've been accused yeah we did of one on uh, <laughs> the harry hayward who was called the uh, minneapolis svengali and it was kind of timely because it was his activities were right after um the book featuring Svengali came out so everybody was like oh look we found one it's we a found book one in the wild it'll be and it, yes, it's really by de Maurier. yes absolutely mm-hmm. <clears throat> which interestingly was on stage when bram stoker was writing dracula bram stoker had a huge interest in mesmerism and so having leapt in with that, I will say that uh, in the next um, few months, this is the 125th anniversary of publication of Dracula, uh, hopefully my, my new biography will be out before the year is out. And my biography of the man himself, Abraham Bram Stoker, the creator of Dracula. All right. And everybody pick up neil's book when it comes out we will do a show especially about that book because i am so looking forward to this book you gotta check out old timey crimey if you like old timey and you like crimey it can't get any better than amber christie's old timey crimey it is really one of the greatest podcasts in the world 
Um, I'll do a shameless self-plug this week. I'll be back out shilling for my book, um, The Wrestlers Wrestlers, The Masters of the Craft of Professional Wrestling, which is still selling well, but still available on Amazon and all your fine booksellers. I will be appearing on the Pro Wrestling Inside and Out podcast to discuss the book, some tales from the book that didn't make the cut. And we will be going deep in depth on the infamous Jerry Lawler-Andy Kaufman feud that became internationally famous. But check it out if you can. And I will say right now, from my two favorite broads at Old Timey Crimey, Amber and Christy, and Neil, who's somewhere in the UK because he's always in one place or another, and joining me as always... Lauren from Swansea. This is Brian in Buffalo saying... Good night. Good night. Bye. Cleo's epic poo-poo.